All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Virginia Sports Hall, Hall of Fame's Hall Call interview series. Uh, I am Will Driscoll, the executive director of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, and hoping everyone is enjoying uh, the beginning of the holiday season. I know this is a bit different, but uh, it is still a holiday, so hopefully everybody's got a smile on their face. Um, we'll jump right into it. In September 2018, one of the best baseball players ever to come from the Commonwealth called it a career. Uh, after 14 seasons and seven all-star appearances for the New York Mets, David Wright was honored with one final start against the Marlins uh, for the New York Mets. The promising start to his career was derailed by injuries, but even still, Wright is, holds numerous records uh, in Mets history and can now add published author to his resume. And that's kind of where we bring in our guest today, Anthony DiComo. Anthony is a uh, is the Mets beat writer for MLB.com and co-author of The Captain. I actually have it right here. The Captain, a memoir by David Wright. Uh, and through countless conversations with those who played with, coached, and, and who David lived with, uh, put together a great biography on one of Virginia's greats. So today we're going to get the chance to talk to Anthony about that. So Anthony, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Will. Happy to be here. Absolutely. You got. You can actually follow Anthony on Twitter. He's Again, he's the Mets beat writer for MLB.com. Go to at Anthony DeComo. Uh, obviously, if you have questions, this is on Facebook Live. We'll try to get those questions up on the stream. We have a, a ton of Mets fans here in the area, and, and that was one of the things I'm sure you learned in writing this book is that the, the Mets for a long time were affiliated with the Norfolk Tides. Now, since we have you here, I'm going to ask you one question. Today, the Mets officially announced that Steve Cohen is the new owner of the Mets. There was a press conference that actually pushed our, our interview here back a little bit. Uh, we have quite a few Mets fans down here. If you're a Mets fan, how should you be feeling right now and how excited should you be for the future? Oh, I, I think it's a very exciting time for Mets. And look, I, I can't sit here and tell you that the Mets are going to win the World Series next year and that everything's going to, uh, you know, that they're going to turn into the best team in baseball. But, you know, they have a unique opportunity here after under previous ownership, uh, 19 seasons, three playoff appearances. I don't think that's where anyone wants to be. So they have a unique opportunity to kind of change the narrative. And I'm not sure if you're a Mets fan, how you could look at today as anything other than optimism. Optimism is always a great thing. And, and one of the things that we love here in Virginia are our local stars. You know, we, we don't have top level professional sports, but we do have plenty of minor league teams. Obviously I mentioned the Tides. But, but David is one of those guys that people have followed here religiously since he was coming up through Hickory High School. And then obviously he played with the Ties before he got the call up to the bigs. Uh, when did you first meet David? I first met David in 2007. I was an intern fresh out of college, uh, joined up with MLB.com and was covering the Mets on a daily basis, which was really cool for me. And David was already established at that point as a star on the team. Um, but I met him and then, you know, continued covering the Mets, uh, became the full-time beat writer in 2010. And that's when I would say I really, you know, developed and nurtured that relationship with him. And, uh, you know, you're in these baseball, as a baseball writer, you're in these clubhouses every day. I, you know, you see the players, you see these guys more than you see your own family. So um, you do develop relations with, relationships with some of them. And uh, I really enjoyed getting to know David over those years. Well, I, I don't want to give away a lot of the book because obviously the goal for you guys is to sell the book. But I do want, kind of want to go through a couple a couple things that that I read in the book. And I've read it front to back. It's a great book. I, I really do recommend it for everybody. But you mentioned that one of your first experiences covering the Mets as an intern, your, your mentor was kind of giving you scouting reports on all <laughs> of the players. Who's a good quote? Who maybe to stay away from? Um, but he said, and David is what everyone says he is. So what is David yeah. right? Well, it's funny because, you know, you talk about 
celebrities, you talk about professional athletes, and not to say that there aren't plenty of good people among those ranks, but I think when you watch these guys on TV and you idolize these guys, you grow up rooting for these guys, you see 1% of what they actually are, and you don't see the full person. And a lot of times, frankly, when you do see the full person, it's maybe not what you expected or not what you wanted him or her to be. And with David, that's just not the case. He, he is what you see on TV. He is that genuine guy. Uh, you know, when I first started this process, I had an opportunity to go down to Virginia. And uh, those in the uh, Norfolk area know that Virginia Beach, actually, David, uh, annually has a charity event at, the, um, at a local children's hospital there. And so I went to that event. I actually spent some time at his house and met his family, his mom and dad. I did some initial interviews there. With his brothers as well and uh, it doesn't take long spending time with people like that to realize why he is that way why he you know obviously raised in a very great way with good people and a loving atmosphere and uh, you know that's part of the equation the other part is didn't allow the fame and the success to turn him into something different he is was the same when i met him in 2007 in a lot of ways as he was as he is today in 2020 and and that I can't stress enough how rare that is. Um, you know, it's just not something you see a lot. So he, he is, uh, you know, I would be proud if I, if, if David Wright were my favorite player growing up or I were a Mets fan and I were rooting for David Wright, I would be proud that, that that's the guy that I chose. Well, you mentioned he's, he's not really a controversial figure. And, you know, a lot of times when we see these, in fact, he's not a controversial figure. I don't even want to qualify it with not really. But a lot of times when we see these books come out, you know, you're looking for for that controversial quote. It's the coach talking about a player that he coached with that he just couldn't stand. And you're looking for the thing that sizzle that sells. Uh, what was your you know, objective when writing this book and what was the story that you guys wanted to tell? And, and when I say you, I, it kind of give us a little bit of background on Essa. Who did the writing? Was it, was it David telling you the story? Kind of give us a little bit of insight into that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's the product of, of countless interviews with David. Uh, and other people, but but you know the bulk of the narrative comes from David, and that's me interviewing him and him talking, and then you know me sitting down and shaping that into something that makes maybe a little more uh, sense in book form. Because if you believe me, you transcribe an hour of interview, you know, or what ultimately winds up being 15 hours of interviews with uh, with with anyone, uh, even the most well-spoken person. If you transcribe <laughs> what I'm saying right now, it probably wouldn't sound very good just on paper as is. So you do need to polish it a little bit. Um, and that's kind of how that whole process works. Uh, but it, sorry, what was the first part of your question? Sorry, you know, he's not a controversial figure. So right, what right, was right. objective in, in writing this book? Well, I think, you know, I'll, I'll say it from David's perspective first. He had two objectives. And one was he almost, he wanted to create a, almost like a little time capsule that his family could see. And his, he has two young daughters now and a newborn son. And that when they get old enough, that they can read the book, that they can see, okay, you know, dad was actually pretty cool back in the day. And, you know, they can also kind of gain maybe a little more of an understanding into his life, his career, what he went through in his career. Um, and just to have that, well, it's still fresh now talking about it. And I think the other part of it is, uh, you know, he went through so much physically and mentally in his career, especially towards the end when injuries started to interfere, doing different things, um, you know, to really persevere and make it back to the field and do things that probably a lot of people and even himself included didn't necessarily think possible. Um, and if that could be an inspiration in his mind to anyone, anyone who might have back problems, anyone who might face adversity, 
as a young baseball player, as a young sports fan, as, as whatever, if he could be an inspiration to one person and then in his mind, it would be worth it. So I think those were his objectives and they aligned with mine, you know, mine being, you know, wanting to kind of share the story of a guy who I thought, you know, was, was an interesting guy and, and people confuse non-controversial with boring. And I don't think that's the case at all. And, and I, I hope that comes out in the book, but you know, I think from my perspective, I was uniquely positioned to help tell the story, just having known David as well as I knew him, having covered him and been there for so many of the milestones along the way. Um, so I'm glad we got to collaborate and, and do it in that way. So, you know, you, you're, you're talking about this and you mentioned his injuries and the, the injuries kind of started with a concussion. He came back from that. Um, and then the back injury started. Now th there was a, there were some neck injuries, a back injury, and then the ultimate spinal stenosis diagnosis, which uh, uh, designation diagnosis, which finally kind of pushed him uh, to retirement. How, how much were you in touch with him during that? Because when you're reading the book, he was in California, he was in New York, he was in Virginia, he was kind of all over during his rehab processes. Um, how, how much were you in touch with him as, uh, as that time was going on? Yeah, not a ton, not a ton. And, you know, people have asked me several times, what was the most surprising thing reporting this book? And, and I, I point to that a lot because I was covering the team at the time. Obviously, I was trying to get information on, on David and what he was doing and what he was going through. And, and through that, you develop a, a vague sense, at least, of what he is doing to try and get back on the field. But until I did this process, I didn't know the full extent of what he was doing on, on a daily basis, how much he was grinding, how much he was putting his body through, how much he was going to various places, meeting with different doctors, flying across the country, flying back, going to a PT specialist in California, going to a shoulder specialist in Cincinnati, going, going to Florida to rehab. I mean, doing all these different things and really truly grinding with frankly, no guarantee that he would ever even make it back to the field, let alone make it back and be an impactful player again. So uh, I, I tried to, as much as I could in those chapters toward the end of the book, go into some of that detail and give fans a sense of, of really just how hard this guy works, because it is, in my mind, inspiring um, for a guy to want to, to want to do that. I think, I think most people, most, most athletes even would have given up. And, and that's not a slight against other people. It's just a recognition of how much adversity he faced and how much, how willing he was to go through it at a time, you know, at a period in his career where, again, I think most people would have said it, seen it, said, okay, I had a great career. My body's not letting me do it anymore. I'm good. And, and he wasn't good. He wanted to make sure that he overturned every single stone and got the maximum that he possibly could out of his body. The drive that he exhibited and not just coming back from injury, but just to be better. You know, he, he always was, told that he was good but it's how good did he want to be is what drove him um to some of the the levels that he got to and you're right there are times reading it you know you're in chapter 14 and 15 and you're like I, I can't believe there's 10 more chapters because I would have given up at this point uh, exactly. just after that one injury but it's it, it really was fun to to kind of follow and see the progression um and how he kept coming back um when the end was approaching and uh, and the Mets decided to have that final that final weekend series uh, he, he really, he talks about it. He was not in baseball shape. So it, it, it was a conversation between him and management because he was, I, I believe, rehabbing in, in double A AA or triple A at the time. Um, and it was a conversation between him, management and his team to say, is there a possibility to, to get one more time on the field? Um, obviously, the Mets allowed that and they, there really wasn't any, any argument. 
But what do you remember about that moment? Because there was the pinch hit on the Friday night, and then there was the start the next day. And he didn't go out, you know, with the 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 um, storybook home run. But what do you just remember being around the park that day? Yeah, it was one of the most dramatic things I've ever seen. And that's saying something, considering it was, uh, you know, a, a Mets-Marlins game between two teams that were out of contention at the very end of September, and it wasn't supposed to mean anything. And yet it was a sold-out crowd, and there were all these people there. And, you know, going back a little ways, going back about a month before that, uh, none of us who covered the team had any idea what was going to happen. Uh, we didn't know for sure that this was going to be the end because he had tried so hard to get back. Uh, we, we really genuinely had no idea. And I thought at the time that it was because everyone was just being really good at keeping things under wraps. And, you know, I found out later that, no, it was because David was still really trying. And it wasn't until days before that press conference, Mets fans might remember the tearful press conference he had announcing that this would be the end. It wasn't really until days before that, that he finally committed and said, this is it. I can't do it anymore. So that month became kind of a whole buildup to this one game. And with the Mets were out of contention and there wasn't really anything else uh, that was worthwhile compared to this. So it was a buildup, a buildup, a buildup. And then finally this final game comes and I can only imagine what it would have been like to be David going through that, um, you know, going through his final day, going to the stadium, knowing that it was going to be his last game, because how rare is that? I mean, most athletes don't get to go out on their own terms in terms of knowing that it's going to be your final game, knowing that this is it, announcing your retirement and doing it. It happens, but it actually is pretty rare. Most guys kind of fade away, can't get a job, that's it. Um, but David was different. And because of that, it created this level of drama. And there were just so many elements to that day, whether it was him signing autographs in the parking lot before and afterward, whether it was uh, you know, his daughters out on the field with him, his, his oldest daughter, Olivia, throwing out the first pitch with his wife right there and his family, uh, whether it was David's at-bats themselves and how crazy everyone was going for those. Um, you know, he went up to the radio and the TV booth during the game and did live interviews in uniform. And then uh, you know, afterward, I thought one of the coolest things was celebrating afterward at about three in the morning at the same bar in New York where he went and celebrated after his major league debut way back in 2004. So it was just a really cool game that I think encapsulated so much of his career and, you know, not the way that he wanted to go out, but given the circumstances that he couldn't do it physically anymore, I think it's about the best way possible that uh, to provide some closure on a really good career. You know, and talking about kind of the stand-up guy that he was and the non-controversial guy that he was, he actually, he and the Mets discussed originally doing it during a Braves series, but because the Braves were in contention, he didn't want to do anything to take away from the integrity of the Braves' pursuit for the playoffs. So that's how it ended up in the Marlins, in the Marlins series. And I think that that's just um, an, an amazing kind of uh, insight into his character uh, when you look at that. But when you're talking about a New York superstar, we obviously think of the Yankees, the Rangers, the Knicks, the Giants. You know, the Mets and the Jets and the Nets, they're, they're kind of always in that second tier. But what was his superstardom in New York being the star for the Mets? I think people who are in New York will tell you that this is and for decades has been a Mets town. And you just don't see it that often because the Mets aren't good that often. And you can <laughs> the Yankees who win every single year. Um, but the fan base, the Mets fan base is so incredibly passionate. And 
on those occasions when you do see it, whether it's 2015, or whether it's 1986, or the period when David first really rose to stardom in 2006, 2007, really, really good Mets teams that, uh, you know, in those two years particularly, you could make a case for the best teams in the league. All of a sudden you see it and you see how much passion there is and you see how much people actually do care about the Mets. Um, and, and it's like this, this fan base has always been this sleeping giant that wakes up once every once a decade when the team gets good. Um, and so, yeah, those, those, especially early in his career, when he was a young star, he was in his early to mid twenties, he was having hall of fame caliber seasons. He was kind of the model for what you would want off the field, uh, in New York city, in Manhattan, living in Manhattan. And he was kind of the Yankees answer to Derek Jeter at the time, who was coming off those dynasty years. And it was okay. The Mets, the Mets have their guy. Now they have their own. So he was, it was a huge celebrity and um, he <laughs> was, it's, it's kind of speaks to his character that he never really cared about that. He could have done without it. He, he embraced it because he wanted to be that guy for the fans, but given his druthers, you know, he would rather probably just go to the ballpark, go home and, and not have to deal with the traps of being a celebrity. He didn't want to be that guy when, you know, you go to the store, you go to the restaurant, whatever, everyone turns their heads. Again, he did it because he loved the fans and he loved the fan base and he wanted to, uh, to nurture that. Um, but he didn't need the fame. He didn't need the fame. He liked the baseball and he wanted to win. There's a great story in the book, and I'm not going to give it away. Because again, the book, The Captain of Memoir by David Wright and Anthony Tacomo, of a young David Wright being a afraid to approach Derek Jeter uh, at a, during an all-star weekend. And so hopefully, you know, you get the book, you read about it, but it's a great story. It kind of talks about just that, that shyness that he had. Um, but when he became captain, he was obviously thrust into the spotlight. What did the captaincy of the Mets mean to him? Oh, it meant everything. It meant everything. And, and it's because he, he does and still does to this day hold the clubhouse so sacred. And I think a lot of baseball players do. And there are things that go on in the clubhouse that only – you know, those 25 guys or 26 guys, um, you know, are privy to. And, and it really is kind of almost a religious space for these guys. And so to be the captain of the team to him was something that could never come from ownership or from the front office or from his manager. It had to come from his teammates and for them to consider him the captain, for them to agree to it. And he made sure that they agreed to it before he accepted the role. That meant everything to him. Um and, you know, you ask him about his career, uh, that's the number one thing that he's the most proud of. He's super proud of making the World Series in 2015, of hitting a home run in the World Series in 2015. He is incredibly proud of the fact that he was a Met for life and they never played for another organization, uh, but the one that he grew up rooting for. Uh, but what trumps it all, I think, for him is the fact that his teammates did think of him as that, as the captain and voted him in. And that's something that you know, you can never take away from him. There have only been four captains in Mets history, and he's one of them. And, and yeah, it's an immense source of pride for him. Yeah, it's not something that's thrown around the way it is in, in say, a sport like hockey, where, you know, you have the C on the sweater. Uh, you know, even as a Red Sox fan like myself, I, the only captain I can remember is Jason Baratek, and, you know, I'm in my late 30s. So it's not something that's thrown around. So definitely um, a, a worthy designation. But, uh, you know, one of, my, one of my favorite things that I read was actually in your acknowledgments you're talking about you interviewed over 40 people over the course of a couple of years to, to really kind of paint the picture of David Wright. And one of his best friends, Dave Racanello, said he just does everything the right way, annoyingly so sometimes. There are no skeletons. What struck you most about his approach to the game and all the time that you covered the Mets with him there? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's I think it's that, and I think again, I would I would point to when you go back to 2015 and 2016 in that era and, and the rehab that he was doing and just the, how much he poured into it with, with not, not only no guarantee that it would work out for him, but really odds are it wouldn't. And ultimately it didn't work out the way that he wanted. Right. And, and he knew that going in that that was maybe the most likely outcome that he had this debilitating degenerative back disease. Uh, and that odds are he could spend years of his life grinding and putting his body through hell and get nothing out of it. And he did it anyway. He did it anyway because he didn't want to ever look back at his career and say he could have done more. Maybe if he had tried this, maybe if he had done that, he could have gotten a little bit more out of his body. He could have done a little bit more, maybe done enough to make it back to the playoffs, maybe done enough to win that World Series that he wanted so badly. Maybe done enough to look a tiny bit different in the eyes of of fans. So the fact that he was willing to do that, I think, speaks more to his character than anything me or anyone else who knows him, who knows him could say. Now, I can't get you out of here without a couple questions specific to us here in Virginia. You know, we uh, we obviously love our, our homegrown people, not just here in Hampton Roads, but throughout the state. How aware were you until you really started dialing in with David, how big the baseball connection and that pipeline is here in Hampton Roads? And really, yeah, the, state, knew, the state overall. I knew, obviously, as I think a lot of, um, you know, baseball fans did, that that era in particular was was huge for the Hampton Roads area with, with David, with Ryan Zimmerman, and Michael Kadire was the one who kind of started it all. The Uptons, Mark Reynolds. I mean, you go down the list. And there have been Chris players. Taylor just won a World Series with the Dodgers. Exactly. <laughs> Chris Taylor, yep. Um, what I didn't realize was that historically maybe it hadn't been that productive in terms of producing major league players and that it probably wasn't an accident. It wasn't a coincidence that all of a sudden you have all these first round picks coming through and, and you'll read in the early portions of the book, there were some pretty influential coaches that he had um, over the years and, and two in particular, I think Townie Townsend's probably a, a household name still in those parts in Virginia um, who had a big impact on David and, and Alan Irby, um, maybe not as, as, as well-known throughout the state, but had an even bigger impact on David personally. And a lot of those players who came through, uh, you know, were, were, were um, influenced by Townie and by Allen and by various other people in that community. So I don't think it was necessarily a coincidence that you went from zero to 60 in terms of all these prospects coming out, not just prospects, but first round picks, future MLB stars coming out. And again, that's that's another source of pride for I think a lot of those guys who were really, um, you know, really care a lot about where they're from and care about the Hampton Roads area and care about, uh, you know, the fact that they're from Tidewater and, and can say that and are part of this uh, big group that's bigger than just themselves. Take away the injuries, you know, what kind of trajectory do you think David was on it and how will history remember David Wright from the Mets standpoint and maybe from an, an overall Major League Baseball standpoint? Yeah, I mean, not putting him in the grave just yet. He's only 37 years old. <laughs> right. No, I, I don't I don't think you can argue with the fact that he was at the beginning of his career on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Those his 2005, 2006, 2007, those were Hall of Fame caliber seasons. And he wasn't able to continue that mostly because of the injuries. And that doesn't make him unique. There are lots of players who have put up Hall of Fame caliber years and aren't able to sustain it. I, I think what makes him unique and people draw the Don Mattingly parallel as another player who was just like this, uh, a guy who 
I think everyone expected would continue because he had the talent, he had the drive, he had every single ingredient and his body just wouldn't let him do it. And I don't think there's any doubt that if Don Manley had stayed healthy, he'd be on, in the Hall of Fame right now. And I think people feel the same way about David, that if he had just been able to stay healthy, he would have been able to do it over the course of 15 to 20 years. And he would have uh, you know, been able to do enough that he could make the Hall of Fame. So uh, it, it's sad in that respect. And I think a lot of people, that's the word they use, sad uh, for both of those players. But it doesn't diminish the fact that you know he did things on a baseball field that a lot of people never do. And those were Hall of Fame caliber seasons. And, uh, you know, he made seven all-star games. That's nothing to sneeze at. So he was, you know, at the time, a top five player in baseball and still today, probably the best position player in Mets history. And those are things that will last, you know, maybe someone else comes along who's better. Maybe someone else comes along who has more success, who makes the Hall of Fame. Uh, but he will go down as one of the greatest ever to wear the Mets uniform. And that's something that's going to last for, for decades. Well, we'll get you out of here on this. When, when I read the book, the common theme that, that I kept going back to was loyalty. And not the type of loyalty where he demanded loyalty from those around him, the type of loyalty that he reciprocated it to the people that showed uh, belief in him. What was the common theme that, that you came up with throughout your time putting this book together? I, I think he would really appreciate the fact that that's the word that you chose. I think, I think that's a, a huge one for him. And you know, it, it's it's funny because I mentioned earlier how proud he was to be a Met for life. And that wasn't a given. That wasn't a guarantee. And you'll read some of maybe his uncertainties in that in those part, portions of the book. Um, but that loyalty was so important to him. And it was important that he demonstrate it. And it was super important that the Mets show it back. And he wasn't sure if they would. And the fact that they did meant everything to him. So I think you know, I'm not sure I could come up with a better word or a better theme than the one you just did in terms of that loyalty. Um, you know, if there's another one, I would say it's perseverance and just his ability to, or his willingness, I should say, to kind of do whatever it took to maximize his career, to get as much out of it as he could, despite the limitations that his body placed upon him. So you have those two. I mean, loyalty, perseverance, that's a pretty good combination for success, I would say, in, in any industry. Certainly. The, uh, the book, again, is called The Captain, a Memoir by David Wright and Anthony DiComo. Uh, I got it at Barnes & Noble. Is there anywhere else people can get it? Anywhere you like. Barnes & Noble, Amazon. I always encourage people, if, uh, you know, patronize your local bookshops is always a great route to go as well. So, uh, yeah, The Captain. And it's, um, I hope people enjoy it and enjoy the story. Well, Anthony, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. For those who are watching, we are still working to get David on to talk about the book. Uh, he, his schedule is kind of crazy, so he wasn't able to do it today, but we will have him on soon. Um, the hot stove season is about to heat up, so I really do appreciate you taking some time out today to talk about the book and talk about one of our favorite sons here in Virginia, David Ray. Thanks, Will, and thanks, everyone. All right, be sure to follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony Giacomo. Buy the book, The Captain, a memoir uh, by David Wright and Anthony. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone again who tuned in to watch this today. The video will be up on our Facebook page. We'll also put it on our website, vasportshof.com. Thank you to the City of Virginia Beach, Priority Automotive, Optima Health, ESPN Radio, and our, part and our friends at the Hampton Road Sports Commission for helping us put on the Hall Call interview series. Be sure to follow us on all of our platforms. And uh, once again, I'm Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, and everybody stay safe and healthy. We'll see you next time.